good afternoon. Feels like a sweet time in the retreat where we've had some time to land, so maybe, you know, something softening and maybe we're here more than we're not here at this point, actually present more than being somewhere else. just on a walk before coming in. And I had this thought, wondering, I always wonder like, what do the neighbors think that we're doing here? <laughs> you know, what, what are they doing in there? And then I, I hadn't really taken, I hadn't really taken in the sign the Insight Retreat Center. It's like, oh, what is, what, what they, what people think of that Insight Retreat Center? And then the thought came, have you had insight? (laughs) (laughs) This is what we're supposed to be doing here. Insights. I thought I'd talk a little bit about, uh, this is prompted by Andrea's uh, suggestion to talk about uh, freedom. liberation. Those sound like uh, pretty lofty aspirations. I've been uh, a little bit involved with a a meditation app. Uh, One one of the teachers on an app called 10% Happier. Uh, 10% Happier, that's, that sounds doable. Uh, but the kind of aspiration for freedom, you know, for liberation. I think that's something that um, kind of inspires the mind. As we settle in here, there's at times maybe this sense of what the possibility is. How far does this path go? And where does it take us? And what is liberation? There was one sutta that the Buddha gave where he was giving synonyms for liberation, which is Nibbana, another word for, or for in Pali is Nibbana. So I wrote down a few of the, th- few of those synonyms, the unconditioned, destruction of greed, hatred, and delusion, the truth, the other shore, the subtle. I'm not sure if I like this one. The very difficult to see. the peaceful, the deathless, the sublime, the secure, the wonderful, the amazing, dispassion, freedom, non-attachment, 
the island, the shelter, the refuge. Mm. I'll take a lot of those. I was thinking about my own journey of what brought me into the Dhamma. And as I was saying, for a lot of us, there could be some way in which we were prompted to begin a search out of suffering. And kind of my entry was, felt like it was over a long period of growing up and some kind of seeking but it had reached a, a real pinnacle for me when I was, I was in medical school in New York. And I've, I've shared this story before, but just this moment that stood out um, is kind of a clear indicator that maybe I could use some help. And I was really struggling with this idea, do I stay in, do I stay in school, medical school? I don't sense this leading somewhere that's going to bring me a great sense of freedom, of clarity. My fellow students looked like they were really suffering. And the doctors that were meant to be my mentors, I didn't quite resonate with where they kind of were speaking from. So I really was feeling like this is not quite what I want from this life. And I had felt a lot of pressure, my own internalized conditioning of what I should do and what a life should be about. And, and so it was hard for me to know truly for myself what is, what is really here. I couldn't, I was like I was living very far from my own center. I had lost touch with even knowing how to know what was really meaningful to me. And so one of the days when I was struggling with that question, I went out, um, Side. I was in New York and in the city and on the streets of Manhattan and was walking on the sidewalk. And the crosswalk signal started signaling, don't walk. It's like the, the red man, don't walk. And I was completely caught in a moment of pure anger and the, the voice in my mind said, that's the last time anyone tells me what to do. And it was just a crosswalk sign. And I was sitting there fuming at this signal, just blinking. And that was an indication to me, okay, I might need to go looking for some deeper sources of contentment, right? some refuge. And so I set off. And that's, you know, however it is for each of us, you know, sort of like the peak of what it was that I could feel I really wanted to find a path. And I I shared about my, lost my brother. I had joined up with both of my brothers uh, in India shortly after that. We really went on a journey kind of looking and didn't know where it would end up, but that's what we do when we go looking. If there's some suffering, we get curious, 
you know, what is this about, this life? Is there a way to meet this life more skillfully? And so whatever steps that each of us take, you know, in a way this is, we each have our own story and I'd love to hear, you know, I'd love to know what your, all the steps that brought your mind and heart, you know, to the Dhamma, because it's interesting. In a way that's sort of what unifies us when we come into a practice is there's something very deeply stirred that, that kind of gets awakened, some curiosity, and we begin to look and question. So what is liberation? What is freedom? It's interesting that the Buddha didn't really give a lot of descriptors. So like that was a list of synonyms. And oftentimes it's a list of what it isn't. So one, one really short description is freedom is when the mind and heart no longer has any greed, hatred, and delusion, no more wanting, no more aversion, no more confusion. You know, so is when we're talking so much about the defilements, about these habits of mind, we're really pointing right at the root causes Right, the root causes of what is it that agitates our heart and mind? Why do we suffer in any given moment? Why are we suffering? And it becomes an interesting process to, to really feel into these, these uh, tendencies that are just part of our conditioning. It's part of our conditioning. You know, and it's, it's sort of interesting. Someone was asking like in a group today, like why is it that we believe in this self? Like why is it, what's the use of the self? One question, you know, related to that could be like, why is it in a way that we're born with this distortion of view that we take everything that happens to us so personally? Why is it that every thought draws us into it? Or every feeling feels as if it's mine happening to me, or I'm uh, responsible for it. I heard someone describe, you know, evolution, and who knows, maybe this is, you know, how we evolved, but evolution is really good at survival. So we evolved maybe to survive, but it isn't necessarily designed for liberation, for freeing the mind and heart. Right? So there's the process of just surviving and we kind of question like, so what, what is a life if what we're doing is just surviving? And is that enough? Do we really want to just survive? you know, to just have enough to, to eat, you know, in shelter, or even just to have, try and have a happy life through accumulation of things. 
you know, we live long enough to realize that's not really, that's not enough. It's important and it's efficient or it's necessary. I mean, a lot of beings don't even have those requisites. Not enough clean water, not enough food and shelter. But if we have that, then how are we spending our time and, you know, out in the world while you've been here? Greed, hatred, and delusion has probably been growing, right? That's just the world. It's sort of ongoing. Greed and wanting, we're feeding those patterns. You know, if only people could know when they pass by here, that moment by moment, there's a group of beings here who are looking into their own mind, their own heart, and seeing these tendencies, not feeding them, not growing them, but seeing them. And allowing the beautiful qualities right, of presence, awareness, patience, of stability of mind, and allowing these beautiful qualities to grow. It's really a remarkable thing. But it's not easy. I often think about, I like this word, I think I mentioned it one time, these latent tendencies. The Pali word is anusaya, the latent tendencies. So these are all those dormant habits of our mind that are there as potentialities, right? They're there waiting for something to trigger it. So we can be going along in life feeling, hey, I think I might be quite free. I've had half an hour of freedom. Hmm, maybe I'm getting somewhere or an hour or a day. And Seidel sometimes says that, you know, we can come on retreat for like a week or a month and oftentimes the defilements will just decide to take a break. I was saying, <laughs> I was saying in a group, you know, today it's like, even during the daytime, oh, they'll just kind of take a break. Then you go to sleep, right? Or after retreat. And then the defilements, you know, come out and share, it's in this like party time right, for the defilements, like, all oh, right, it's our turn. You know, we gave you your time. Now it's our, our turn to, you know, get to run the show for a while. Or we just bump into life, bump into situations and circumstances where the latent tendency gets triggered, right? Something gets brought up and the mind and heart then get into a reactive state, something hurts, 
right? The mind gets brought into, and it doesn't have to be, it's big things, little things. You know, we see something, hear something, and we see it. It's like some moment, and now we're getting to see the result of that particular quality of mind that's just not yet expressed. It's there as a potentiality. So with that kind of understanding, rather than being disappointed or frustrated, when life contacts us through seeing and hearing or through the heart, through the mind, door some experience, and suffering follows, that's the opportunity. That's like life saying, here, look, if you have a path, we can use that. It becomes gold. That is the collecting those small moments of seeing of this is the suffering that leads to the end of suffering. This is how it leads to the end of suffering. Because it's been expressed, because it has a chance now to be seen, this is the uprooting, right? This is the purification. And we can see how then how the view is so important when we look at our experience. If we have that view, this is an opportunity. The mind is hurting, the heart is hurting. I'm caught up in something, right? And we say, well, this is an opportunity. What is this? A moment of purification, a chance to see what story is the mind holding on to? What belief is operating that says underneath this shouldn't be happening? Or I don't want this to be happening, this isn't right, or they shouldn't be doing something, or they should have done something. In every moment of our suffering, and this is interesting, when we have some steadiness and stability and we look into our own life history, and we have places that have you know, really been kind of hard to let go of, but with more wisdom and cl- clarity now, when we do a little bit of that life review and memories come up, we're able to see much more clearly what was going on. What was the wrong view at that moment? What was the mind believing? What was it at- attached to? And this isn't to like go digging, but it's just to say as we gain more stability and more awareness, we're able to see a little bit more clearly and into our own moment-to-moment experience and even into our memories. Where was the suffering in that experience? So tastes of freedom. There's a monk, uh, Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa. It was nice. He had this kind of encouragement. He said that 
we can experience in our own way uh, moments and these moments a little bit like a, a moment of Nibbana these moments when we haven't been experiencing a lot of wanting, a lot of aversion. What does that taste like when we have a moment of experience? The mind sort of settles down, becomes a little bit more peaceful. Those can be really um, important moments to just recognize. Wow, deep rest, freedom is possible. Freedom is possible. It doesn't have to be anything glamorous. I had a moment I was, when I was a monk, um, I had some momentum and the mind was getting steady. I remember I was sitting in the room where I was uh, in my little kuti room. So very attractive, the monastery at Shurman, just tiled floors and cement walls and an old wooden door. And I was sitting there waiting for the bell to ring for, uh, it was actually a wooden gong for the meal, lunchtime meal. And I was sitting there just looking at the door This was a very plain door, nothing special about it. But as I was looking at it, this inner peace was, was just starting to rise. And I began, tears were just coming down my face. I was looking at a door, the most plain thing in the world. And a deep joy coming into the heart and mind. Like, wow, our joy truly doesn't depend on the door being any more beautiful. It was like such, it was so clear. It doesn't have to be a pretty door. This is a good enough door, but deep joy. It's like, wow. You know, and yet how much of our life, oh my gosh. It's like the hyper-stimulation that we need for moments of contentment. You know, in retreat, we we really do. It's like there's a natural seclusion that starts to happen because we're not being bombarded with a lot of stuff. The mind settles. It becomes more nuanced, more subtle. You can actually begin to feel the subtle rhythms of the mind, right, and heart and different energies that come and go. It's because we're not getting that in constant stream. And in a way, our our mindfulness then is attuning to that. It's becoming more subtle. We don't need extraordinary experiences to become more awake. We don't need it to be amazing, to be really interesting. It doesn't have to even be pleasant to open the heart to it, to really feel fully alive with what's happening. And I think that was part of what was happening in that moment was this feeling of just aliveness in being awake, not needing anything. 
a little taste of, wow, I didn't know. I didn't know that that's the possibility of our nature, of our mind and heart. I didn't know that. And of course, once we have those moments, not anything big, just a moment of some more settledness that points the way. This is the way onward. We say this is onward leading when we have these moments of being caught in the storm and the storm lessening, even that lessening, or even being there long enough for a storm to completely go. Oh, right. Here's a mind that's freed from that storm. Each of the hindrances that the Buddha talked about as blocking our path, then when these hindrances are present, we're not able to move down the path. When we're freed from each of those hindrances, the Buddha described them a little bit as these places of freedom. We can experience them. He gave metaphors for each one of them. So desire, sensual desire, is like being freed from a debt. You know, so when you owe something, how do you feel? Being caught in it. So being freed from desire, when the mind isn't caught in the desire, or when we're able to step back from it, being freed from it, being aware of it, is like being freed from a debt. You don't owe anything. There's nothing that you have to pay back. It's interesting, the food line is an interesting place for that to explore, or wherever your greed place is. But food's a good one. There's not much else happening. Food becomes more predominant at times on retreat. I used to think of the, uh, the, the dining hall at the monastery. I called it, I had this phrase, I think it was, although it was on the, on the second floor, I called it the dungeon of desire. Because <laughs> it, it felt like it was, the whole thing was set up just to overwhelm the mind with desire. And Andrea, we were, I can't remember what we were talking about. If we were talking about the, the almost, uh, maybe you were saying this, almost every meal there is served with ice cream at the end. <laughs> and sort of like a setup. It's like, is that generosity? <laughs> or are you just intentionally trying to trigger, you know, wanting? Well, obviously it's, no one's intentionally trying to trigger your wanting. Um, but that's the way it feels once the mind becomes more peaceful and more secluded. Desire itself starts to feel like a burden. To desire something, to need something, is this feeling of being stuck in it. So then being freed from it, this freedom, it's like being released from debt. Ill will. Ill will is when we're caught in that, that experience then you become freed of it, freed from it, it's described as, as if you've recovered from being ill. You're, you're no longer stuck in that state of mind that's so unpleasant. Ill will. It's so interesting that 
ill will feels like the right response to be having, right? Doesn't it feel like the right response to be having when something goes wrong? We say it goes wrong or someone shouldn't be doing what they actually should be doing because that's the lawful unfolding, right? If someone is confused or angry or deluded, I often like to think, well, what should they be saying? What should they be doing? They should be doing and saying deluded or hurtful things. It would be unlawful for them to be speaking out of compassion and wisdom if their mind was confused, right? So this is seeing the Dhamma. When we see the Dhamma, we're actually able to see the reality of what's going on rather than the, the perspective of what it is we want to have happening. But good luck with that in relationships, <laughs> particularly relationship, if you're in an intimate one, difficult to put on the Dhamma lens, right? The lens that we put on is should. Oh, I know what should be happening. I know what you should be saying and I know what you should be doing. So, but increasingly, right? We move more and more towards seeing, seeing clearly. So ill will, right? And fascinating that ill will being re- released right, or, or recovering from illness. It's just saying so directly, when ill will is present, we are the first person that's suffering. And yet it feel, can feel so right to be stuck in that state of mind. Being released from it is a glimpse of freedom. Right? It's like being released from an illness. Sloth and torpor. is like being released from prison, being imprisoned. You feel like being stuck in that sleepy, sleepy state. If you ever have that and you come out of it, just sort of being released from some, you know, some cage. Restlessness and worry. So when the mind has been really restless, anxious, worried, then the description when that comes to an end, we step back from it feels as if we've been released from bondage, from slavery, really deep imprisonment from that kind of state. We see how powerful that state is. And then doubt, doubt is powerful. Also really obscures our path, don't know what to do when doubt is present. And there the analogy is as if we've been lost in in the desert without any signposts and then being freed from it, we then come through that journey. We're now back where we know we're, where the path is. So when doubt is present, just recognizing, all right, this is the experience. It's like being lost in the desert, don't know what to do. And then seeing doubt, all right, being freed from that. So all these little ways in which to me is like, this is the movement down the path of freedom. Right, being able to see our, these afflictive patterns that arise, being able to observe them, moving towards them with interest, right, not another round of condemning ourselves for experiencing them. It's okay. Right, these, are, these also are part of nature.
I just want to emphasize that the path onward, it really doesn't take a lot of doing. But it, it does take our perseverance, our, our continuing, just moment by moment. I'm seeing this so much more as the years go by just the willingness to show up in life, right? to, to have enough awareness to see in some way, doesn't need to be a lot, but just seeing the patterns of the heart and mind. Right? The mind matures, we see things. And at times you know, we see very, very deeply into experience, but again, it's not even trying. Just need to be present enough in a moment that some insight can come, some understanding, kind of awakening up out of the trance of being in our own story, our own life, and it's just, here we are again. Here we are in this moment. Someone had asked about one of the insights that Utejaniya, Sada Utejaniya had there was a moment when he was showering and he describes this insight that he had. So some of you have heard this in, a, in this story. Um, so I like to say it's not, a, it's not an insight that you will likely have here. And the reason why you won't have it here is because he was showering with a scented soap. So unfortunately, unlikely you'll have this particular insight. So he was in the shower and it's like, soaping up, very strong smell. And, uh, (laughs) And nothing special going on, just showering. And then he had this moment and the insight, very deep insight. It's the nose that smells. (laughs) It's the nose that smells. And he said it was at an insight level, very strong understanding. And while he was in the shower, he he said he wanted to just like race out of the shower and and just share the insight (laughs) with his family to tell them, do you know, do you know it's the nose that smells? And afterwards, he says he's glad he didn't do that because, of course, everyone would look at him and say, um, yeah, we do know that, you know, we know it's the nose that smells. But at the level of understanding the not-self characteristic of the unfolding of that process was at a different level, right? That was moving into that third level of wisdom of really deeply seeing and into conditionality. There's no one there to make that process happen, just unfolding. And that's true with every process. So we have infinite number of possibilities, moment to moment for that to happen. And it can be even defilements arising, same truth, conditioning. Doesn't need a little being inside pulling all the gears and levers and going, okay, now let's pull on the you know, ill will lever, right? Now let's pull on the desire lever, lever, right? There's no one there if we go looking for it. It's just conditioning, just conditioning. 
So what conditioning right now for you right, is happening? It's also just unfolding. Whatever state of mind, however the body feels, experience of the body, all of it. That's why we say, talk so much about this right view of nature. We incline the mind towards right view so that the frame is there, so that then we can actually see that for ourselves. But we need to have this operating wisdom in the mind and heart so that when the conditions are ready, an insight can happen. Penetrating insight. I used to think or wonder, you know, if mindfulness, awareness, like, how does that really lead to freedom? Particularly when having left a career path that would have had a lot of stature and status, security, would have made my parents proud, definitely prouder than (laughs) being a Buddhist monk. (laughs) That was a hard phase for them. But I'd be sitting there wondering, what, gosh, really, awareness? Aware of this experience? I actually wrote down or have the, um, the opening line, lines of the description of the Satipatthana, these mindfulness practices of the Buddha. And it's just so, so clear, so strong. The Blessed One said this, this is the direct path for the purification of beings for the overcoming of sorrow and limitation, for the overcoming of pain and distress, dukkha, for the acquiring of the true method, and for the realization of Nibbana. In other words, the four foundations of mindfulness. This is the direct path for the purification of beings. 
So we're on this path and it's apparently it's a direct path. <laughs> I know it doesn't always feel like the direct path. It's like, really? Are you sure it's direct? Um, Yeah, but the more I've learned about the mind, I, I, I don't think of another way, a better way of being in any given moment. What is a better way of being in this moment than being awake to it? And then having wisdom, some knowing. And I often like to reflect also in the life, in, wor- in the world, I've never found a moment that was made worse by awareness and wisdom. And again, someone in, someone in the group today was joking and I've thought about this also a lot, which is, yeah, when defilements are there, you know, if we want to have our cookies, yeah, maybe awareness and wisdom get in the way. Yeah, so the defilements don't really want necessarily the awareness to show up. But again, when that lessens, we feel the freedom from that, the grip of that state. And then we realize every moment is improved or realized in the way it is, that it's already enough. And we have these qualities. And so each moment then is, is like we discover the whole path. If this moment is the path of awakening to what's real, what's happening. Okay, so then we increasingly orient to living this. The awareness becomes our refuge, becomes our dwelling place. And we allow everything to arise, to be known to be experienced. And we experience more and more this resting inner peace. So we use this raft, and the Buddha described it, the further shore we use this raft to cross over, yeah, and even the rafts. The Buddha said, even this, these teachings, this raft we just use, even that is not to be clung to. So we get to the further shore, we don't walk around with a raft. He said, with, we don't walk around with a raft on our head, carrying it around and saying, what an amazing raft. But we're using it, right? We use it all the time. The reason why I love that uh, description that the Buddha gave about that raft is that even the Dhamma itself, it's so vast and it's just reality. It's not a thing. It's not a thing. But the Dhamma is a path that allows us to see the Dhamma It's both path and realization, path and truth. 
So just allowing every taste of the mind that is either knowing a moment of awareness, a moment of seeing the comings and goings of mind and body, just allowing those moments to be these tastes of freedom that keep us inclined towards what is possible, what's worth doing, Being born as human beings, we're each gifted this potential, this remarkable potential. And once we hear the Dhamma and we know there's a a path, well then it's just sort of up to us if we keep going and keep orienting to what's meaningful. We each have this potential. This is the beautiful gift that sometimes is difficult to see in our cultural conditioning. And we forget that this possibility is part of our nature. It's not even something we have to do or create. It's already here in the fabric of our, of our being. just close with a few moments of sitting together.
Thank you for your practice and your attention. <laughs>